Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Catch. And welcome to How Tall Is This Dragon? So today we are going to do a fun little post about horses and traveling on horses and how far you can go and all the sorts of stuff, which is something we've done. Because about five years ago now, there was a blog post, there was a post out there on one of the social media forums, and they were asking about horses and how far you could go. Mm. And I started answering the post, and I talked about how far we'd gone, and then I talked about the fact you can't carry water, then I talked about the difficulty with saddlebags, then I talked about what food did and didn't work, and then I said to everybody, I really should write a blog post about that. Well, this is that blog post. So here's what happens when you ride off into the sunset. Okay, let's start right there, riding off into the sunset. What are you doing it, you absolute nut? I mean, sunset, it's time to stop, pack your bags, make camp. I mean, you know, um, clearly they have a movie studio full of people waiting to deal with their horses and all their garbage. Because that's not what's normally going to happen. Normally, you're going to ride off into the sunrise. Well, actually, normally you're going to ride off about two or three hours after sunrise because it's going to take you that long to get ready. Yeah, unless you're super organized. But, you know, when we're looking at the first thing about that most people are going to want to know is like, how far can you roughly get when you're traveling? Now, this is actually a reasonably simple question to answer, simple answer. It's about 20 miles a day. It's about 30 kilometers. And, you know, that doesn't change a lot whether you're walking, whether you're walking with pack animals, whether you're going in a wagon, uh, wagon, whether, or, you know, almost whatever you're doing. Um, the, there are only two exceptions to that. Um, if you're traveling by dog sled, of all things, you would make better time. Or if you're traveling in a cart, mm. not a wagon, but a cart. But for a cart, you will need a good road. Otherwise, you are talking about, yeah, about 20 miles a day, probably actually somewhere between 15 and 20 miles a day. So, yeah, we're talking about 20 to 30 kilometers a day normally. Yeah, and this was sort of our experience when we were traveling before, wasn't it, Catch? You know, when we started off, it wasn't good. (laughs) The first day we set off. Now, we we had had children. We had all sorts of hassles, um, which you can imagine people having. So, you know, proviso here. To, to fill you in, we had we had two children under three, we had two children ten and twelve, we had four riding horses, and we had one Shetland pony. So the normal maturity of most role playing groups, you know, okay, in terms of how actually psychologically mature most of their characters are, yeah, cool. Um, we were all reasonably experienced riders, but this was the first time we'd ever tried a horse trek. Mm. The first day we made four kilometers. <laughs> Next day we did a whole five. <laughs> but the, the third day we managed 15. Okay. And that's where experience comes in. So, so when yeah, we, did. we settled down to that about 15 to 25 kilometers a day, roughly speaking. Yeah. And so we could have done it faster if we'd just been walking. But I can tell you, because I walked most of those first 25 kilometers leading a Shetland pony, that by the time you get, you've walked all that distance up and down things, leading horses, you're very happy to get on a horse and just ride anywhere. So, yeah, this is sort of first point to know, you know, horses don't really make this faster. They make it easier and more convenient, okay? It's a lot better to ride 20 to 30 kilometers than it is to walk 20 to 30 kilometers. So that's basically convenience and enjoyable food. Now, maybe you do it a little bit faster, maybe, maybe, but not a lot. 
Um, it really depends on what you're carrying. And this brings us to the first major point I really want to talk about, what it's really like traveling with horseback, and that is saddlebag. You know, when you're adventuring, you just throw the saddlebags on and you just take off. <laughs> um, or as one person... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, I can tell you, if you do that within half a kilometer at most, your saddlebags will be the thing that is off. It will be off your horse or hanging down off your horse. And if you are lucky and have a good, quiet horse, that horse will stop. You will be able to either come up to them or get off your saddle yourself and find out what's going on. If you do not have a good, quiet horse, then your horse will probably either bolt or buck or both. And you will have not to not only deal with a saddlebag, but with stuff all over the road. Now, actually, this is really interesting because saddlebags are really important, um, whether they're on your main horse that you've got it or like essentially the pack saddle that goes on the uh, pack horse or something like that. Um, if you can just imagine, okay, when you're on a horse, you, staying balanced is really, really important. Anybody who's ridden or seen somebody ridden, imagine that you've got like 60% of your weight on one side. And 40% of your weight on the other side, okay? It's going to keep you slipping slowly off one, slowly off the side of the saddle. There's nothing stopping you doing that, you know. Um, and saddlebags are going to, this is what we found, would just slowly twist out of the way. And in addition to just being a pain in the ass and falling off, it's extremely uncomfortable for the horse too. It makes it a lot more hassle for them. And you really, really don't want to make things uncomfortable for your horse. Um, and as Mark said, the point about a saddlebag is they do need to be perfectly balanced because horses are not, you know, when you're riding a bike and you might pack bags on a bike and you, you want to have those even, but you can fasten them on. Well, it's because you've actually got a balance point that can actually be slightly to the side on a bike, you know, um, not true on a horse. And a bike, unless you're doing some very rough cross-country riding on it, is fairly smooth. It doesn't bump up and down. Yeah, ha, ha. A horse even when you're walking, bumps up and down. Although, and, interesting point. I mean, like, you know, some of the... We're all dealing with modern horses, and there is actually some interesting evidence, of course, that um, medieval horses were a bit different from this. They were actually had specialised horses called amblers that had particularly fast walks, okay? And some of them we could see um, in breeds like what we call gated horses in America... Um, and whatnot, okay. Um, or, or there was actually tolters? the tolters, that's right, right? The tolters, they were there. You find this Icelandic horses that do a type of tolting, and these are different, ga differently gated horses. They can actually move quite fast, like almost about as fast as a trot, and keep it up for a while, and it's a lot smoother then. So, that's the sort of caveat with this, you know. You, you, your adventurers or whoever might have one of these sorts of horses, you know. <laughs> Because um, they were actually specialised for this sort of travel. But because they're specialised, they're not going to be the horse you want to ride into battle. <laughs> so if your adventurers are off there just riding the same horse they're going to use for everything, then they are going to have to deal with that bump issue. Absolutely. Which means their saddlebags are going to have to be perfectly balanced. Mm -hmm. Now, you could think, oh, easy enough to do. I'll just balance them when I first leave town. 
except that every day you're going to be taking food out of those saddlebags or putting food into those saddlebags. Or suppose you actually manage to find some treasure. You're going to have to pick the treasure into those saddlebags and <laughs> treasure can be heavy. So what are you yeah, going to do? Good. Well, I mean, you know, what you did, Catch, we, we actually took a set of scales um, so that we you could weigh both sides of the saddlebag more, more accurately. You know, I mean, someone who's clever could probably develop that skill, but you're literally going to have to, like, role-playing game situation, you're going to have to spend skill points on saddlebag balancing, which is not what you want to spend your XP on. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, after those saddlebags have slipped time and time again, you probably do want to spend your XP on it. <laughs> so saddlebags, so, they are the first... So in be fa- the housewife of the venturing party. Great. <laughs> in fact, an interesting point about that with the Pony Express, which probably everybody's heard of, the, the famous mail service in America that only actually lasted for 18 months because it went bankrupt, where... And they would actually, those horses would actually gallop between posts. They only had a 10 to 12 um, mile gap where they, and then they would so change in, horses. in kilometres for the sane world catch, 10 to 12 kilometres? About 20, 20 kilometres at most. It's 16 to 20 k's, basically, you're talking about. Yep. Um, and they'd, 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 they'd travel that in about an hour. And because saddlebags, as we pointed out, are a pain, if they had to stop and transfer the saddlebags from one horse to the next... That would lose them all the time they just made. So what they had, they had these special bags, they special thing that would just sit over the saddle, and all it would carry was the just the mailboxes, and the rider would sit on it. Mm. So you could change that in two minutes flat. And because, as they said, saddlebags are not efficient. Mm. So if you want to travel fast off into that sunset, leave your saddlebags behind. Mm. So look for my money. Just the getting from one place to the other. Um, the best possible way to do that is the way, you know, the Fellowship of the Rings did. Um, walking, you know, just in pure efficiency, walking with a pack horse in terms of being free to do whatever you want to do. Um, you know, actually horses and all of these things come with a lot more extra issues that, that actually limit you in some places that you're not expecting. And one of the things the Fellowship of the Ring did really cleverly is they had pack ponies. Ah, yes, ponies, ponies, ponies. Like most people who have conquered the world have done it on ponies. And it's not because they're the most fierce war animals. Though if you've met a Shetland, they can be damned fierce, okay? (laughs) It's because they, okay, they are really efficient. They don't take much feed, you know, and they are robust creatures, you know. They don't get sick because Mm. this is the other thing that's going to happen when you've ridden off on your horses now if you're particularly lucky we did a how long we've actually done three different horse treks we did the first one we did was about 300 kilometers and we did that with no car support whatsoever Mm -hmm. and with the aforementioned four children we did the second one was about a thousand kilometers, and we did that with a car. Yeah. So we would alternate driving and riding with the horses, and the third one we did was again, I think about a thousand kilometers or more, and we did that with two with a wagon and various well, two wagons for part of it, mm-hmm. and one wagon for the second part. So. Oh goodness, and yeah, there were there are definite advantages and disadvantages to each of those things. It probably is worth going through. You know, the first one, yeah, it was 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 okay it was the one we were, we were learning of course um but you know we, we finally did manage to make about the about a decent amount of time per day day but there was a whole pile of issues with setting up and packing down da- packing down every day you know and we were struggling to take enough with us 
in that circumstance when we were just riding in with a pack horse or two. Yeah. And what we ended up coming down to is that we we didn't carry feed for our horses. We carried very minimal feed for our horses. We travelled quite slowly. We were lucky enough that we were travelling through spring, so we were able to graze each night. Um, and because the horses weren't doing hard work, we could, with a combination of grazing, and every time we stopped in a town, we would buy loosened hay, we would buy some hard feed and feed them. So, And we would do that every sort of three or four days. But, you know, in particular in that circumstance, but even elsewise, you can't carry feed. Not really. Not a lot, lot of feed. And you can't, cannot carry water, even in a cart, you know, um, just because they're going to add up. The amount of water that a horse is going to drink just adds up massively. It's like 30, 40 litres a day. Um, so I, it, it's huge. So there's no way you could possibly actually carry that much water for um, your horse. And if you want to know why Australia was actually discovered, most of inland Australia discovered by camels, that's why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you, cannot carry, you cannot carry water for a horse. You can carry food if you've got pack horses. I mean, this first trip we had... We had four, well, two adult riders, two children, and two toddlers, um, and four horses. So we were we weren't carrying very much. We were only carrying saddlebags. We didn't have a pack horse at that point in time. Um, so as I said, we and but even when we were going with a wagon, we had a big wagon. We still couldn't carry water. I think there was one night mm-hmm. where we got caught. We were looking at maps. We had the stock route, and there was supposed to be a creek there that had water in it. Mm-hmm. Well. We were probably lucky. That was the only time it actually happened to us. That creek had no water. We had no homesteaders around us. We were fortunately we were carrying, I think, about seventy-five liters of water with us personally. We um, poured all that into in three big containers. We poured all that into um, this was some the, buckets. This is when we were in the car, wasn't it? Yeah, no. This is when we had the cart. Yeah, cart. So we yeah. had no car. So we poured all this into containers for the horses. And then we hitchhiked with those containers somewhere else to fill them up with water again and bring them back again. So, yeah, like that you could really easily get caught out with that. So that's one of your major things is do you have water? Um, do you have that extra feed for your horses? Or else you're going to have to have extra time where the horses are going to graze. And you talk, you're, three or four hours is going to be necessary for them to actually get enough feed if there is, in fact, feed around. And... If you are pack, if you've packed hobbles, or... <laughs> okay, yes, I will just here's a really good fun one. I okay, we're just going to finish our day. We're just going to hobble our horses, and we're going to make camp, and we'll find those horses in the morning. Where will you find those horses in the morning, Catch? <laughs> well, it rather depends on what type of horses you've got, and it really this is where you really do want to carry feed for your horses, even if just a token feed every morning. It will bring those horses back to you. Yes, absolutely. When we were travelling, yeah, we had yeah. we had three horses that liked to hang around, and one horse that liked to wander. But because horses are herd animals, so, all the other three horses would follow our wandering taggy. And the hilarious. couple of times we actually did try the hobbling trick, we would spend half a day off looking for our horses. Absolutely. And you look, you routinely find like farmers and stockmen and things like that um, and hear stories that horses will just, uh, with a little bit of motivation, 100% learn to gallop in hobbles, okay? <laughs> it will not necessarily stop them. So instead of hobbles, what we mostly used was stock reserves. And there's a wonderful 
set of those all over Australia that anybody who's traveling with stock and horses are stock can use. But getting back to the second of the two trips we did, which was the one with car support. Now that was probably the easiest because for that one, we could do that easy 20, 30 kilometers a day. What we would do is one person would be in a car with a couple of the children, the other person would be on the horses with the other children, and we would just travel 10 kilometers. Okay, cool. So definitely my next trek, um, particularly if it's an imaginative one, um, a magical air cart is 100% necessary. <laughs> okay, that'll make traveling really, really easily. People do not think enough about exactly what sort of magical vehicle they should have, you know? They think they should have magical horseshoes to let their horse go really fast. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, creature comforts is where it's at. <laughs> absolutely, and that's why, actually, you had inns yeah, along any major road. Um, when there's a lot of travel by Bullock um, in um, Europe, and that's... Well, and in, in Australia, too, um, in the 19th century, 20th uh, century. Yeah, they, and they didn't go fast at all. And that's six kilometres in a day. No, so six miles? Six no, miles. six miles. So it's, it's a bit over 10 k's a day. Um, um, so you would have stations. You would have places where you could stop 10 miles along. And in, when we were travelling, the thing that made the biggest difference to how far we travelled once we got the hang of it was where we needed to stop next. Sometimes we'd only travel six, 10 kilometres. One day we did 32 between Forbes and Parks because there really wasn't anywhere good to stop between mm. Forbes and Parks. So we needed to get from one stop to the next stop. And after that, we gave our horse a rest. Yeah, so absolutely. So you're not going to be able to make these sort of paces day in, day out. Right? You've got to have rest time, you've got to have rest days. Um, there's a whole pile of stuff that goes on around around this that basically eats up like time. Okay, so what about, what about our third trip when we actually had wagons? You'd think, oh, that's going to make things a heap easier, isn't it? Well, in some ways it did. We were able to carry ho- feed for our horses. Yeah, which so was... that was the definite big thing. Look, the difference there was that we could carry a lot more um, than we could in the previous treks, even with the car, you know? Oh, absolutely. In fact, and it was very useful that we could because we were traveling that time after a period of drought and there was a lot less grass on the ground um, where before we'd been able to simply, we've been traveling through a good spring and we'd been able to um, graze our horses, um, just buy feed easily to feed them. Now we were traveling through a period straight after a drought. There was a lot less grass on the ground. We had to carry a lot more feed. So that's another thing to think about when you're traveling. What's the feed like? Mm. You know, oh, yes, my horse can just graze. Well, your horse might be able to just graze if you're traveling through your typical English type environment. But if you're somewhere like Australia, that's not always going to be the case. Absolutely. And like if you could imagine in some sort of role playing or narrative situation that you need to hunt, that's taken up half your day. So you actually need to take time to take distance off how far you can go doing those sorts of activities. Now, again, like when we were traveling on, well, like when we were traveling without any backup, we were still mostly going at a walk. Mm. Um, that day when we traveled further, we did about half of that trotting. But we're not talking about horses do not trot fast unless they're actually carriage horses. Yeah, so you, you're, all, you're going to walk most of the time. Sometimes you're going to do, you know, you're going to trot for a little while. And 
you're going to get off. You're going to get off, off off hills. I mean, you know, we used to get off with the wagon and walk along alongside as well. You and know? in fact, if the hill was particularly steep, we not only got off and walked, we would occasionally get off and push until that wagon was moving smoothly up that hill. Because you're doing everything you can to make it easier for the horse. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're not doing that, you're just going to run them into the ground really, uh, really, really quickly. I mean, I remember hearing stories um, of like how terrifying it could be going down things um, with horse-drawn or in fact bullock-drawn um, wagons and down any sort of de- decline um, when you're loaded. Because of course, like we assume, oh, you'll be able to break. Um, um, we had decent brakes on our carts and wagons, but you know, the way they do most sorts of things is literally at the top of a hill, if they're at the top of the hill, they chop a tree down, tie it to the back of the wagon in the hope that it would slow you down going downhill. So you can imagine that like if you're going to go trying to go down something with a loaded wa- wagon at a, at a speed, that could really, really easily get out of control really quickly. And the other thing you really, really have to watch with horses, and this is a great thing to throw at your adventurers, is horses like people get sick. Now, horses get sick really easily. We were incredibly blessed. In the ent- all of our treks, we didn't have a single horse come down with colic. Mm. But I think we were lucky. Now, colic is like an awful, awful thing in horses because they're not efficiently designed. They've only got, like, they've only got one stomach, like us, Okay, and so they've got to try and, unlike a, 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 like cow, a cow, you know, that it's a ruminant, um, has all of this capacity to process um, fibre and, you know, what it's e- eating much, much more easily than a horse. You know, something goes wrong with a horse, they get some dirt or something, the wrong thing in, you, you can end up with sort of intestinal distress that means that their sort of li- intestines are literally twisting inside of them, you know. Um, and that's awful, really, really painful for them. And it can be a really quick and gruesome death for a horse, you know. Um, um, and that's even before you're talking about what can happen for them on too rich feed. Give a horse too rich feed and you can actually have like what we call laminitis. So if they get too fat or something like that. Or if they just, you just if you just created too much um, like good feed, feed on a horse, it's literally the laminate of their hooves can start to give way. Again... Uh, like in between and around the sole because like they're standing on like their fingernail and of course again extremely painful the horse is immediately lame you can't you couldn't go anywhere with that horse yeah and you'll need to get that horse shod which means and that's a specialized thing Mm. you need to find people to get that horse shod and if they make a mistake then yeah, you're going to be paying for it for a long time afterwards. I mean, we had this struggle um, with our draft horse on the on the third track, didn't we? You know, when he when we started off, he was fine. He was pulling loads fine, but just over time, um, just under load, loads, he'd start to brush his back feet together. Past so sad thing number one: this beautiful, like furry, fuzzy stuff on the end of his fetlocks. He just he just ripped it off as he was moving and then it actually started to like rub against each other so he'd, he'd started to get sores and we'd, we'd put boots on that to try and fix that and and all sorts of things to try and deal with that of course you need really very skilled shoeing to be able to fix that sort of thing you know 
And we also had the problem of one of our farriers just pricked him slightly. We didn't realize it until a couple of days later, and he got an abscess. And then when a horse has an abscess in their foot, they do not move at all. Mm. He's standing there. We're worried. Has he broken something? We didn't know what to do. We had to get a vet out. We, in fact, had to leave him in a special stables and come back to him daily for about two weeks while we were somewhere else. And, of course, pricking a horse like, like that, um, shoeing them, is something that's actually really, really super easy to do. Modern, like, nails are actually designed so that they pull. So, actually, when you nail them in, they actually pull the nail towards the outside of the hoof wall rather than up into the delicate parts of the and blood vessels and, and circulation of the horse. It's very, very close to where you're nailing, okay? So it's really easy. You get the wrong angle, goes up into it, you you, know, you bleed, you can prick them, okay? And, you, and like if a farrier thinks they've done that, they'll immediately pull that, that nail out, check if it is bleeding because they need to know straight up on that so it's very easy to do too because it's you don't have much space between okay that's that's nailed it right off gone up nicely into the hoof wall and i can and i can clinch that nail off and 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 attach the 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 shoe well with that or up into the horse now sometimes when you prick them they let you know sometimes like this it wasn't actually immediately apparent. So it's always a danger with those sorts of things with horses. Okay, and then there's losing a shoe, which will happen to almost any horse at least once on a trek. And once that shoe has been lost, you have to travel very slowly and very carefully until you can find someone to put yeah, that you're shoe. You're really limited to a walk. And a walk on soft ground, preferably unladen, um, until you can get that shoe put back on. And that means your 20 to 30 kilometres an hour has just dropped back down to 10 to 20. Yeah, I mean, look, you're going to go 5 to 10 at absolute most trying to just look after the horse. So to sort of sum up what we've said so far, um, you can travel between 20 to 30 kilometres on horseback and you can do that, say, five, six days in a week. You, can, you can't carry water for your horse. So you're going to need to find water every night and you're only going to be able to carry a limited amount of food. So you're going to have to find grazing mm. unless look, you've got a the number amount of, of treasure you can get, you can carry quite, quite limited too. Okay. So when you set off on your adventure, if you're expecting treasure, pack a pack horse, pack two. After all, be positive. You're going to get a lot of treasure. You don't want to be walking all the way back because your treasure's just packed on you your horse. Definitely need for a bag of holding here. In fact, in your case, catch your saddle bag of holding. Saddle bag of holding with automatic balancing. Otherwise, make sure at least one person in your party can balance saddle bags. Oh goodness. <laughs> However, these are just your normal adventurers yeah, with your okay, normal horses. We've talked about just traveling along in a normal sort of way. Let's think now about sort of those heroic rides, the sort of Paul Revere stuff. If the adventurers are having to escape something, there's a, there's a dragon that's flaring at them and they have to run or ride as fast as they can. How far can they go and how long can they ride for? Okay, so what we could look to here, um, the analogous sort of thing that's happening is the traditional steeplechase. Now, a steeplechase used to be the race literally between steeples, between church towers. You'd start at one church tower and you'd run to the other church tower. Um, and it was 
crazy dangerous because most of the time this was done at night. <laughs> Usually with a moon and almost always after a large amount of alcohol. Okay, so yeah, very much syrup cup is necessary to do this particular ride. Sort of definitely pretty scary. So those would be... So like, let's have a look at the very first English National Steeplechase, okay? It was about 6.4 kilometres... Okay, and this is happening in the sort of um, early 19th century, the first sort of organized version of the race. So before that, you had horses, before your thoroughbred horse was specifically really bred um, as a racing horse as we understand it now. Okay, so the winning time for that was about 16 and a half minutes. Okay, so it's obviously a very good horse to make that sort of four miles, 6.4 kilometers sort of distance. And that's an, an unladen horse apart from a rider. And so they're going around 20 to 25 kilometers per, per hour at that sort of time. It's average of 23 in that case. And that's what you can sort of expect. Really, you can think that doing these short burst things, you, your horse can run for about 20 minutes probably okay and um, you're gonna get on a really on a good horse six or seven kilometers in that time you know and then you're gonna have to slow down because the horse is gonna be done um, you're gonna have to more than slow down you're gonna have to really slow down and that horse is not going to be able to do that again like half an hour later that horse is probably unless again it's a very good horse done for the day but if Pony Express thing you know is another analogous thing and you, we know that their stations we're sort of 10 to 12 miles apart, so like 16 to 19 k's. It's about twice that distance. And they they travelled that t- in a bit over an hour. So they, they were going at 10 miles an hour, about uh, 16 k's an hour. So they were going pretty fast. So in fact, less fast than the steeplechase. In fact, the Pony Express was averaging 10 miles an hour. So they were probably travelling between 10 and 15 uh, miles an hour a lot of the time. So they were going very fast, but again, they were swapping horses every hour. So, you know, in, after an hour, your horse is going to be done. Really be done if you're galloping the thing in all normal horses, okay? Um, um, and, you know, if it's a good horse, you're going to get that little bit of extra distance. If not, maybe if, not. You if know? it's a horse with a lot of stamina, they had these amazing races they used to do in America um, in the 19th century where horses would be expected to run two or three heats of four miles over a period of a few hours. And now that's an incredibly strong horse. Most Certainly horses can... No, because that's what you're asking there is is burst fitness, you know, is, is sort of bursts of energy and then to back that up and do it again. So that's actually crazy amount amounts of stamina. Yeah, but also, I suppose, if you're wanting to develop horses that can take you all day under any conditions, including outrunning Indian attacks or whatever... You're going to need that sort of goblin, stamina. Goblin attacks. Okay, it's goblin attacks. So. Goblin attacks. <laughs> sorry, goblin attacks. You're going to need that sort of stamina. The other type of heroic things we have is the endurance ride. Yeah, okay. Now, now uh, here is where Australians really come into their own. Absolutely. So the what we see in the endurance racing scene is they will do races in a day um, and they'll be going up to 160, 180 kilometers in in a day. Okay, it's on the one horse, um, and they're getting and they they're going at a fair clip too. You know, I want to look at something like the the American 
um, data. They're sort of going 12 kilometers an hour. The, the Australian uh, horses, all really highly bred Arab horses, are going 15 to 16 kilometers an hour. So they're going almost as f- they're going as fast over time, pretty much as those Pony Express horses are going. Okay, and they're keeping it up for hours and hours. Okay, so like the Tom Quilty winner last year, no, no, a couple of years ago, 2019, okay, they did an 160-kilometer race in 10 hours. Okay, just over 10 hours, like 10 hours and 9 minutes. Now, that is crazy, crazy amount of distance to, to have done. Of course, has to be completely unencumbered, specially designed saddle, extremely um, focused bred horse. And, to do and an extremely fit rider to, to travel that distance. And you would do a lot of that distance at a trot. Mm. Um, if you want to cover a long, if you want to cover a lot of different distance on a horse, the most economic way to do that is usually trotting. Mm. Um, if you're pulling a cart, um, you'll trot. Absolutely. And in fact, well, some of the Pulling a cart was actually one of the things that people think um, had to do with some of the new developments in breeding and, and horses is that, like, the more you had horses pulling carts and whatnot, the more trot trotting became a good um, way to use their power, um, pulling something along. And a cart is actually the most efficient way to travel a distance fast on a horse. Yeah. If you don't have a specialised endurance horse, and I mean, a specialised endurance horse is going to cost your adventurer quite a lot of money, and that's what they're going to be good for. They're going to have a good trot. They're going to have a good, um, a good probably canter or hand gallop. Oh, I think that's a little bit unfair. I mean, like the Arab horse itself, like one of the oldest breeds um, that is still extant, you know, because they're, they're thousands and thousands of years old breeding-wise. Um, you know, they were used all o- over the Middle East as war horses. Um, and it was the mares that were used, of course, not the stallions. Um, partially, I don't know, like if anyone's actually de- dealt with Arab horses, they are all characters. <laughs> um, you know, they have, they're a very, very fiery te- temperament. At the same time, they can be extremely sensitive. But I think that it's fair to call it's fair to think that you can have something like that and actually be a reasonable war horse. It's not going to be a nightly destroyer. Okay, yeah. I will stand corrected. You are quite right. It will in fact be an excellent war horse because they were in fact excellent war horses. So, but that sort of covered horses. Let's spend the last couple of minutes talking about what about our dragons? Oh, How okay. far can a dragon travel in a day? I'm gonna think. That the dragon is not going to necessarily be able to get much further than your endurance horse, um, because I'm gonna, okay. So I'm going to think it, it's it's using all of this energy to flap its wings and whatnot. Okay, so I think it's got burst fitness. Okay, so I think it can probably fly for a couple of hours, and it's going to need to rest after that. And I would challenge that with what about albatrosses? What oh. about seabirds? What about if your dragon? is not a like a land-based bird, something like a falcon or a hawk, but what if your dragon is something like an albatross? Okay, it's a loser bird. It's going to lose when my, my, my cool dragon beats it up, okay? <laughs> However... No, you make a good point, though. You know, like, so... Yeah, okay, so with your animal, whatever it is, we've seen with that dogs can actually outperform horses in some settings, you know? And a dog, like a human being, is an endurance animal. Um, a horse, 
not actually of its own an endurance animal. It's a herd animal, uses bursts of speed to get away from predators. So, you know, what what does your fantasy animal, whether it's a griffin or whether it's a dragon or whatever, what does that look like? Does it look like the sort of bird albatross type thing that can cover presumably huge amounts of distance over uh, over an amount of time? Or does it look like something that has sort of more burst energy? So, and I guess you can figure out, out from that, that how far you can go. So when you're asking your question, when you're asking yourself a question, how far can my adventuring party travel on horseback? The answer is between 10, between 20 and 30 kilometers a day. When you're asking yourself, how far can my dragon go? You have to decide what type of dragon you're dealing with. That's a really good place to end, okay? This week's How Tall Is This Dragon? Goodbye.